Nora Speaks is a weekly podcast that tugs at the soul and consciousness of the Black community. With show topics such as youth empowerment, education, women's impact, and civic engagement, Nora Speaks challenges the listener to not only join the movement, but be the movement. On the show, you'll learn from insightful guests who have demonstrated capacity in these fields and more, and I'm your host, Nora Muhammad. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nora Speaks. I'm excited about the conversation that we're going to have. I think it's a necessary one that we talk about preserving and advancing our own interests. As Nora Speaks promises to tug at the soul and consciousness of the Black community, it is important that we have certain conversations, that we have real talk sometimes. It's great to be entertained. It is uh, great to dumb down sometimes, but we also have to have a meeting of the minds and have a conscious dialogue. So I'm glad that you're here with me so we can talk about what it is to advance our own interest. So just by definition, let's have common understanding that our interest is what is beneficial or advantageous to our uh, communities, to our group, and it is the pursuit of our welfare or whatever is in our own self-interest. And as black people, sometimes we become uh, a little bit alarmed when we hear someone talking about advancing our interests, preserving our interests, or just something that might uh, be particularly relevant or uh, in reference to our uh, racial group. But I want to encourage those who are listening who may feel that way to don't be alarmed and don't feel threatened. And if you are not of our community, the black community, that you shouldn't also feel threatened or offended when black people talk about uh, advancing our own interest. Because every group of people has the right uh, to advance their own interests and they have the responsibility to advance their own interests. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing prejudicial or racist about that. We have examples all over this country uh, where certain cultures of people come together and have stores that reflect their culture. or They have uh, recreation centers or worship centers that reflect their eth- the, the characteristics or what's crucial in their ethnic group. But a lot of times we as black people in America, we feel comfortable dissolving ourselves into the broader landscape and whereby we ignore the things that uh, may be unique to our group or we are just so inclusive. And it is is nice to be inclusive, but we're sometimes so inclusive that we uh, invite others in without having first established a firm foundation to invite them in. So this is the conversation that we're talking about, firming up our foundation and protecting and preserving our interests. And we can invite anyone in once we've established uh, and, and, and have firmed that up. Um, so I'm just going to use an example of Chinatown. Chinatown. Um, I live uh, pretty close to Philadelphia, and they have a very uh, vibrant Chinatown in Philadelphia. And when you go into Chinatown, 
if you can't read the language, then you don't know what the stores uh, say on the outside or the banks or their recreation centers. You can't read the writing because it is written in their, uh, in their language. But they don't exclude me as a black woman from going there. I can go and I can uh, make purchases. I can go to the restaurants. So they are welcoming me into a foundation that they have made firm. And that is what I'm talking about as black people that we have to establish our foundation um, and make it firm. And that's what I mean about advancing and promoting, preserving our interests, that we too um, should recognize what our interests are and to advance them and promote them. So that's what we're going to get into. So the first subject that I think it's important to start with is economics. And we must uh, think about acting cooperatively uh, economically. Uniting our resources and and coming together um, is great, and we should do that. But in addition to that, we should support each other's businesses. Um, And we go to church, and we'll you know we'll put something in the offering plate, or we may go to uh, the temple or or whatever religious uh, uh, way you practice, and we'll put something in the offering plate, and we realize when we're doing that that it is so that we can advance the needs of our church, we can advance the needs of our temple. This is the same thing that we have to do outside of the walls of the church, where we put our nickels and our dimes together. We might realize, you know, we should really establish a bookstore. We should establish a cultural center in, uh, in, in our communities, and that we should have uh, the trust and develop the trust and faith within ourselves where we can um, do this and we can put our nickels and dimes together And beyond doing something cooperatively, when our brother or sister has their own business, then we should support them, even if their beginning is a humble beginning. I mean, let's face it, as black people, sometimes, you know, oftentimes we don't start off with a lot of start-off capital, with a lot of startup capital. That's not how we start a lot. We start with a very humble beginning, and we build as we go. And sometimes when we go into a business in the black community, if it has a humble beginning, we almost feel or act as if it's beneath us or it's not ready for us yet. Well, in fact, it is ready. It is ready for you. It is ready for me. And it is ready for us to get in there with all of our might and to support that business, sometimes to even drop in a donation. So we might say, well, you know, they don't have it as as put together as Walgreens, or they might not have it as put together as Walmart, or the restaurant isn't as put together as McDonald's or Olive Garden. Well, brothers and sisters, we don't have Olive Garden or McDonald's or Walgreens uh, startup money. We don't have that kind of investment where we have it in the beginning. Many of us do, but not all of us. And when we see these meager and humble beginnings, let's support them. Let's let them know that we're going to come back. We're going to tell others about that business. Also, let's be patient. With a, a new business owner, that person is the entire business. So they, you know, they're the one that's opening, they're closing, they're the accountant, they're the business manager. Um, and, and, and so there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be mistakes. But let's be patient with these early beginnings. Uh, any business that we look at now had a beginning somewhere. And maybe that particular business or the face of that business um, 
uh, that face of, let's say, uh, of a McDonald's. I mean, they have chains all over the world now, but it didn't start off that way. It started off with a restaurant, and that restaurant expanded. And so, you know, we weren't there in the beginning, but I'm sure we could say that that beginning left a lot to be desired. Well, our beginnings will leave a lot to be desired, but that does not mean that we shouldn't support with all the fervent uh, zeal and zest, you know, thinking about, wow, this is great that our children can go into a business that has a, a face that looks like ours awaiting to greet them. This is so cool. And this will give my child the uh, or my my niece or my nephew, the inspiration to know that they can do it too if it's something that interests them. But there's something, brothers and sisters, that we do that is uh, it's terrible. When we have an unfortunate experience, whether we are right or whether we are wrong as the customer, we will take to social media and we will wear each other out and we will start a campaign, and there was there was an incident recently I saw on social media where someone had a uh, an experience at a um, at an auto body place, and and apparently according to the um, one who made the initial post, this place was a black owned uh, auto body place, and they the customer didn't get the car didn't get their car returned and repaired in a timely manner, as they thought they should. And just reading down the comments, that's why I never go to black business. That's why I don't support black business. That's why, that's why. And what was interesting is that just in reading the initial post, what the holdup was, was the person's insurance company. The person's insurance company did not do their part or did their part in such a untimely fashion that the auto body place couldn't even start their work yet because the repairs weren't approved. And then once the repairs were approved, then the person got their car a week out. So the month or the month and a half delay really wasn't because of the auto body repair place. It was really because of the insurance company. But we see the black face and sometimes we are so quick with our trigger to with our trigger fingers for social media to uh, just go on and on about the failings of black businesses. And then even reading those people's comments, I wonder if they had really read the post and saw that it was truly the insurance company's issue and not the auto body um, places issue. But, you know, sometimes we skip all of that. None of that is important because I want to, too, um, land blast a black business and land blast black businesses in general. I have never seen uh, a thread of any other group of people um, talking about how horrible, uh, uh, I've never seen a Chinese person talk about how horrible uh, Chinese service is. I've never seen an Italian person talk about how terrible their Italian um, brother or sister serve them. Now, I'm sure that they have their issues as all groups do, but we don't know about it. But we are so easy to take to social media um, or just in general conversation and just talk down on each other. And this has to stop. We will never advance our interests if we continue just being so harshly critical of one another. And if we do see that a black business uh, is making a mistake or uh, it may be doing something in error, or if we feel like we must make a suggestion, be, let it be constructive criticism. 
and and bring bring to the owner the fact that you know I'm really excited that you all have opened here in this community. Say something positive first before we give our complaints. Um, there there have been times when I've been in uh, let's say a convenience store. I'm not going to mention any names because I don't want to um, promote this particular business because they have plenty of uh, dollars to promote themselves. But I've been in convenience stores that are uh, prevalent here in South Jersey. And I might have a black uh, cashier who was just or or a deli worker who was just so uh, thoughtful or so considerate that I would ask to see the manager. And anytime a customer asks to see the manager, usually there's like, oh, gosh, what happened? But I take that time to let the manager know what a great job that that individual did especially when that person is a young black woman or a young black uh, man, because we don't always give the constructive criticism, but we are quick to give the, uh, the uh, uh, defaming or the, the um, criticism that talks about how terrible we thought that we were served. Bring constructive criticism to our black brothers and sisters when they're starting businesses, but lead with a compliment, lead with love. Don't just criticize because you can. Um, that's unfair to them. I mean, they have enough to worry about with trying to keep their business afloat and 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 struggling to get support from our own people for us to uh, have the desire for wanton criticism of that which is black owned and black operated. That's just not fair. And then if we decide that you know what I you know after you know talking to the manager a couple times or the service just isn't really up to par to what I think is right for me then you know what I'm just going to not come to this business maybe I'll come back in a year when they're doing a little bit better but we don't have to walk away and start a campaign of 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 a boycott against a business that is um, started by you or me. We have enough forces working against us and we shouldn't add to that weight and to that burden. So Moving on and talking about advancing our own interests, preserving our own interests, let us let's let's talk about education. Um, you know, we say that knowledge is power. Well, how is knowledge power? Knowledge has power when we take that which we now know and use it to function in a greater capacity. So when we're giving our children uh, the push for education or higher education, Education isn't just so that I can say that I have a, a college degree or I have a master's degree or I have a, a doctorate. Education isn't just so that we can wear it as a status system, uh, as a status symbol. And education isn't just so that we can get a good job. Now, we definitely want to be employable. And uh, if you feel great about having, you know, done seven years of college to get your master's degree, great. Feel great about, feel great about it. But feel great knowing that you put in seven years to get knowledge whereby you and I can function in a greater capacity than before we had the education. Education is the substance that we should use to cultivate communities, to cultivate families, to cultivate cultivate social and economic systems. And in starting off our education with our children, we should make sure that our children have an education where they see themselves inside the education. We should be educating our children in their, in our best interest. And so part of that is knowing our history. Our young people have to know their history. And 
the history when I was in coming up in public school, I was taught um, the first thing that I was taught about history. I remember this so clearly. I remember this so clearly. I was I was in class. It was in social studies, and I'm reading the the book, and I I see that Crispus Attucks was the first black man to die in the Revolutionary War. And he was uh, kind of a standout figure in that day's lesson. As, you know, the Revolutionary War was when America was fighting for um, their own sovereignty from British rule, from uh, England. And it was such a standout moment. And I thought, oh, great, <laughs> finally, I see someone black, you know, coming up in school. You know, I, I knew... I knew before I went to school that black people were in slaves, in slavery. There were slaves in America. But it took so long for me to learn about something from someone black. And then when I learned that thing, it's about Crispus Attucks, as he was the first person to die fighting in the Revolutionary War, even though his people were still slaves. But he was fighting on the side of America to free itself and gain its independence from England. And I remember I just felt like, finally, I felt like there was some relief in my mind. Um, And then fast forward from that, black history after Crispus Attucks was essentially Dr. King. And Dr. King was uh, fighting for civil rights uh, for our people here in America. But what I know now and I w- what I wish I knew then was that our history extended way beyond the Re- American Revolutionary War. Our history extended way beyond being captured in Africa to be brought to America as slaves. Our history extended way beyond the uh, uh, erection of the pyramids in Egypt. Our history extended way beyond that. But I didn't know at that time. And so history, I was not excited about history coming up. Because it was just a, you know, I, and even in the pictures, it's like a, it's, it's a bunch of old white men. Now, that's a part of history. But as a black child, that is dry. That, that didn't pull me. That didn't pull my attention. I didn't see my people reflected in any kind of positive way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting around my classmates, and this is their people. And they have such pride. And, and, and even talking about how they came, you know, many immigrants came through Ellis Island um, looking for a greater way in America. Well, that wasn't my people. My people were brought on slave ships. So that's shameful. So my history starts off as shameful history, you know, because, you know, we were slaves and, you know, we were uh, uh, an ignorant people because we couldn't read, we couldn't write. Um, we spoke this broken English, but my classmates had Thomas Jefferson and, you know, uh, Quincy Adams and, and all of these great men who did great things. And I'm not saying that there weren't black people who did great things. I'm just saying I didn't learn about them in my uh, elementary school education. And even in my high school education, I remember the high school that we, um, that I came, that I went to, it wasn't until I think it was maybe my 11th or 12th, my 12th grade year, that we got a, um, a, a, a black cultural class. I don't even remember the name of it. Um, and so it was my it was my first time actually eager to sit in a class and hear about something black, but 
But even in that class, and it was it was kind of a, a an experimental class, but even in that class, it was for black students only. So it wasn't even for the general population. It was just for the black students. So even the white students, just like I learned about their people's history, the class for black people to learn about their history or, or the class that taught black history was just segregated just for black people. So even white people weren't getting the history. Um, and so it's a, it was an unfortunate experience. So when we are talking about education, our young people, our children, they must see themselves in the history. Brother, I mean, if you look at a picture and it's a picture of 30 people and you know that you're in the picture, the first thing you want to do when you see this picture is look at yourself. You want to see yourself. Now, then you'll kind of look and check out everybody else. But the first thing you want to see is yourself because it's natural to have self-interest. And that's what I'm talking about with education. Our children, our young people, we must see ourselves in it so that the education can have value to us. And then once we gain that education, then we can also go from there and use it so that we can function in a capacity that promotes our self-interest. So talk, let's talk about family for a second. Family, as we know it, is the most basic unit of civilization. And it is often that we don't engage in family planning that is promoting our collective interests. Um, I can, you know, if personally, that isn't how I came about. That isn't how my family started. That is how I started the family that I've created with my husband and, um, and, and, and I had forethought into what I wanted for my family um, and my children and the children that I would have. But that is not how I started. I, I didn't, I was, you know, I'm happy to be here, but it wasn't because, you know, there were people who had this, this intention to um, build a family. And a lot of us come through unfortunate circumstances like that. Um, and, and, you know, fortunately I had... Um, a broader family network who was able to uh, safeguard me and my brother and my sisters, and we were able to um, come away from an unfortunate start, I'll say, from an unfortunate beginning um, because, you know, it wasn't uh, self-interested. It was oops, you know, like a lot of us, we were, you know, oops, unplanned pregnancies. Um, but beyond that, you know, we had family who, who understood self-interest, who stepped in in um, to raise us up. Um, but a lot of times we might not have those people who can kind of step in and support that young person or those two young people that started a family before they were ready or started a family before they knew who they were or what they wanted. And so what we see in our communities is um, the reflection of the brokenness of the home that's what we're seeing in our communities. So when we have our young brothers who are out here in the streets fighting each other, or we have our young sisters who are out here in the streets fighting each other, that brokenness can be tied to the brokenness of our homes. And this isn't just a conversation um, talking about family, saying that every, every you know mother and father should be married, and that is ideal. That is certainly the ideal way to do things, but I'm not just talking about that. I'm even talking about having the the unity of mother and daughter and the unity of father and son where we have to repair relationships or build relationships that just aren't whole. 
Because when we don't have that love and we don't have that structure and we don't have that interdependence at home, then we take that brokenness and that disunity out into the streets or out into the community. And so a young man or a young woman may put graffiti on a black business because they don't see that person as any kind of connection to them because they may not have those kinds of connections and that uh, solidification uh, uh, being given and being taught at home. So the more loving our homes are, and I'm talking about as an entire community, we need to go door by door and, 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 and pour love back into our relationships. Um, and, and again, not just mother and father married to each other, but a father's relationship with his daughter and a daughter's relationship with her father, a mother's relationship with her son and that son's relationship with that mother. When we lack love in our homes, that lack of love is going to be reflected into what we see um, happening, spilling outside of our homes into the community. So, you know, young person might walk past our, you know, walk past my door and drop trash because they just aren't taught about the um, sanctity of home, the sanctity of home extending beyond their own doors into their community. And so, you know, I'm nothing. I'm no one to them. And um, because sometimes they might also feel that sense of nothingness and being a no one um, because that brokenness is in our homes. And we really, really, really have to think about um, family planning and repairing our families so that they can be advantageous and of benefit to our broader community. So just even um, in talking about community, and this will be my last point. So we talked about education uh, we talked about economics and family. Um, let's also talk about community. We we must really think about the kind of communities that we want um, to live in. And, you know, for many of us, our goal is, or the goal that we want for our children, it is to go to school, after high school, go to college, after college, go out and get a good job. And then once you've worked long enough, um, you know, get a, get a great house in a, in a nice community. And in the work that I do with young people in the inner city, when you listen to them talk about their aspirations, they, a lot of them talk about, you know, and then I'm going to move out. And then I'm going to move out. They all want to move out because staying in is undesirable because of what our communities look like. A lot of times staying in uh, represents some kind of failure. So those who are still here didn't make it, but the ones who made it, they got out. Our community should not be something that we want to rescue ourselves from. We should know that it is our responsibility to make our communities a great and decent place to live. And this is something that we can establish Again, starting with family and how we see ourselves in our home, how we see ourselves in our own family structure, and then understanding that family extends beyond our own front steps, that um, my family is my neighbor. My family is the person who owns the store um, that I might have bought uh, a soda or uh, uh, potato chips from, so I'm not going to just drop my trash in front of their store or in front of their business. But when we don't feel as if our communities um, are our responsibility, then we want the police to take care of it. We want uh, the politicians to take care of it. 
Uh, so, you know, we want uh, public works to come and, you know, clean the streets. We want the police who may not live in our communities to come and make sure that the communities are safe. But these are our communities. We have our, a responsibility to make sure our communities are clean and are safe. And our community shouldn't be something that we, that our, that we ourselves or our children should find the desire to want to flee from. And so it is our responsibility to make sure that our communities are morally, spiritually, mentally, and physical places of wellness and not places that, that, that promote illness. Um, and this is something that is possible, but we have to establish, one, just that love that we, that we may not have that keeps us from bridging uh, some of the gaps in our community. And so even in thinking about, okay, so you're going to going to get a job and you're going to make enough money to escape, to move out, to move away. But what's going to happen is unless we have our impoverished mindset repaired, then any community that we're going to go to, we're going to bring that impoverished mindset there. So, you know, it, it was... Um, kind of a joke where we talk about, you know, there goes the neighborhood because, you know, it's a nice suburb, but a black person lives there. So well, there goes the neighborhood and the things that we might um, not take such good care of. So maybe we have our grass isn't cut or maybe, you know, we have old tires, you know, in the front yard. And, and, and I've seen this happen. I've seen where people have moved to, you know, out of the city into a somewhat suburban area and day one, there's trash outside the front of their houses. And, and, and you know, and, and that's demoralizing because that same demoralized mindset that we might have had in our urban center, we're going to take that everywhere we go. So my point is we don't have to escape. My point is that we can uh, change our mindsets where we are. And if we can change our mindsets where we are, are in our communities, then we can change our communities. And this can be done overnight. Um, we have to be dedicated to it, and we have to have a desire to recognize and promote those things that are within our own self-interest. Um, our communities show outsiders what we think about ourselves. Our streets show outsiders what we think about ourselves. Um, I mean, just think if you had uh, someone visit your house and they come in and there's trash everywhere, there's dishes piled up in the sink, your bathroom isn't clean, your windows are filthy, you're, you, there's, there's, there's dust everywhere, there's trash on the floor, um, your clothes are all over the floor, they're not hung up in the closet. I mean, when, when you invite someone into your home, and they see how you live, then you're telling them what you think about yourself. You're showing them what you think about yourself based on your environment. This is the same thing with our community. So when people from the outside come into our communities, because we know that in a lot of urban areas, you know, for example, in Atlantic City, there's a casino, which is the pool. So people might come to the urban area of Atlantic City to the casino, but when they drive through the neighborhoods where our people live and they are unclean and there's, you know, people laying in the streets or there's abandoned homes or there's graffiti, that's telling them what we think about ourselves. Uh, the same thing uh, in Philadelphia. If you go in Philadelphia and you're trying to go to see the Eagles play or the, or the Flyers play or the 76ers play, 
it's going to be very clean around those facilities. But when you go into the neighborhoods where our people live and there's graffiti and there's garbage and there's people selling drugs or using drugs or doing uh, distasteful things in the open, that lets these people know who are coming in from the suburbs to spend their money at these uh, uh, franchise sports teams, that lets them know what we think about ourselves. And we can't escape that. So what we can do is change our mindset and develop a mindset of self-interest because we can't outrun our condition. We can talk about getting out of the getting out of the hood or getting out of the ghetto. We could talk about moving to the suburbs, but quite frankly, whatever uh, is in the suburbs, well, I tell some young people, the suburbs don't want you because you're not going to bring the suburb mentality. These people want their gra- they cut their grass. They do not allow trash in the community. They don't like people just hanging out, just hanging out, uh, cursing and smoking black and milds up and down. That that is not what they want. They don't want you there. And we shouldn't want to be places where we're not wanted. Quite frankly, we can have the, the exact community of peace, of love, and prosperity that we want. We can have all of that, but it's going to take a mindset shift. So the mindset shift should be towards one of self-interest. And it is not impossible. It may be a big lift, um, but we didn't get this way overnight, and so there's not going to be... Um, changes that happen like magic, but if we got together with a with a self-interested mindset looking to firm up our foundation um, and create a foundation that doesn't just have pride for us, but has pride for our children, boy, um, the great things that we can do. Um, and then the world doesn't have to look at us as this uh, people that, um, you know, that, that nobody wants to be around. Uh, you know, those of us who might excel in certain areas, either in entertainment or either in sports. Now, you know, we're money makers for people. And so they love us when we're making them money. But if we're not making some, you know, people money, they don't really have a, a high interest in us. So we should have interest in ourselves. And uh, that is what Nora Speaks hopes to do is to help us draw interest back to ourselves, to helping ourselves before we help others, to building our own platforms before we look to take advantage of other people's platforms. So uh, there it is. Uh, Let's talk about being self-interested. What do you think of uh, this conversation? You can uh, email me at questions at norazahira.com, questions at norazahira.com. Let's have a conversation about this. Uh, Tell me what you think. Tell me uh, ways that you think uh, we can go about impacting our community in a positive way. Uh, You can also uh, comment uh, on Facebook, Nora Zahira Muhammad, Nora Zahira Muhammad. You can leave your comments there. I'd be really interested in what thoughts you might have. And I'm also interested in the work that you may be doing in making your community a decent and place to live. Uh, Let's connect. Let's, uh, let's, let's unite our resources, our time, our talent, and our information, and then we can uh, make some changes uh, quicker than we could ever have imagined doing so by ourselves. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Until next time, stay in peace. Thank you again for listening to the Nora Speaks podcast. Be on the lookout for another episode coming at you fresh next week. And as always, if you want to learn more about me and the work that I do, visit my website, norazahira.com. 
or if you have a listener question that you would like me to answer on air, you can email me at questions at norzahira.com. You can also follow me on Facebook at Noor Zahira Muhammad and on Instagram at Noor Z20. I'll be sure to include links to the above in today's show notes. If this show has value to you, please like and subscribe and share it out with family and friends. And be sure to check out previous episodes. And remember, don't just join the movement, be the movement. Stay in peace.